She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 3. Episode 21. Avatar. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Friday, April 26, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada. The story was by David Duchovny and Howard Gordon, and it was written by Howard Gordon and directed by James Charleston. In the episode, depressed about his impending divorce, Skinner hooks up with a woman at a hotel, only to wake up and find her murdered. Skinner doesn't remember anything, but Mulder is convinced he didn't kill the woman and is determined to prove it, even as Skinner tells Mulder and Scully to leave it alone. Ooh. Yeah. So we're in Washington, D.C., and it is March 7th, 1996. Solid date stamp. Boom. Mm-hmm. Skinner is sitting at a desk, but not in his office. There's a woman kind of pacing behind him, and he has papers in front of him. And he asks, this is it? I just signed this and it's done? And the woman, who is a lawyer, says, as soon as I file it with the city clerk. And Skinner looks at the pen he's holding, because it's like a fancy fountain pen. He's kind of uncaps it and kind of looking at it. And he's like, she gave it to me. It was an anniversary present. I don't remember which one. And the lawyer's like, Walter, they're expecting the signed document at the end of business today, which was 10 minutes ago. And Skinner snaps. He's like, I know what time it is. And she's like, then you should sign. And Skinner caps the pen and he stands up and she's like, what are you doing? And he says, it's been 17 years. This can wait one more day. And she's like, just like, you know, she plays with him and get it done now. But he insists he'll sign the papers tomorrow. And he walks out. Mm. Then we're at the Chesapeake Lounge in the Ambassador Hotel. Is the Chesapeake Lounge where he was also eating when he got shot? I don't remember. I meant to go back and check and I forgot. I don't think so, but maybe. Okay. Because I mean, it's got like a bar, but there's also like tables and stuff too. So I yeah, it could sure. be. Okay. Anyway, Skinner is sitting at the bar this time. And it's a busy cocktail lounge is what it looks like because it's nighttime. And a woman asks if he's holding the seat next to him. And he turns and he's a woman with short blonde hair and she's wearing like a gray suit. And she tells him it's the only open seat. And he's like, go ahead. And the woman who will find out her name is Karina Sales. She orders a tonic water with lime. And then Skinner orders another drink because the bartender like comes up and says, hey, can I, what can I get for you? What can I get for you? And would you like another, sir? And she thanks him. And Skinner's like, for what? Ordering another drink. And she kind of like nods a little bit and she looks at a mirror behind the bar and says there's a man behind her wearing a red tie. And she says the man felt compelled to tell her the first half of his life story. And she was afraid that if Skinner got up, the man would try to tell her the other half. Skinner shakes his head and he says he guesses some people just think you owe them something just because you're out alone. And she asks if being alone ever bothers him. And he kind of looks at her. <laughs> and then we cut to a hotel room where Skinner and Sales are decidedly not alone and instead are together in bed and then Nikki. And they're in, they're basically in the middle of having sex and then something yep. changes. And like, cause we see them like they're rolling around and like, Oh, and like Skinner's on top. And then they roll and she's on top. And then, and then at one point, like she's like, you know, rises up and then Skinner like opens his eyes and she's like old. And he's like, Oh, and then he, as he's in the middle of his like, Oh, he like, we also cut and he's like jolting up out of bed, like sitting up and he's been panting 
and like he was having like a dream or something. Mm-hmm. And then he looks over and the woman is next to him in the bed. And so he like, you know, kind of rolls over and pulls back the sheet a little bit. And it's the one that he was with and she's facing him. Well, her face is, but her body is not because mm-hmm. her head has basically been turned around backwards and she's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's a theme song. Yeah, that's that's not good. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, I saw this episode of Colcheck the Night Stalker, except the dude usually died, too. Oh, yeah. With the succubi, right? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a weird one, but. Karina Sales is played by Amanda Tapping, who is probably best known for her role as Samantha Carter in Stargate SG-1 and other incarnations of Stargate. Samantha Carter has like a military rank, like she's lieutenant, but the military rank keeps changing because she keeps getting promoted. So just Samantha Carter, the character. So I don't want to give her a rank in here because I know it just keeps going up. She's very like a prominent character in that whole Stargate series. Yeah, and like three or four of the series. Yeah. Yeah, she's in a lot of them. She'll also be in one episode of Millennium, and she played Naomi on Supernatural. Naomi sucks. Uh, Naomi was mean to Cass, so I don't like her. I was going to say, I looked it up because when I was looking her up, because she looked familiar, and I was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out why. So I pulled her for IMDb, and, you know, they have photos. And, like, in some of the photos, she has, like, long, dark hair. Mm -hmm. I think that was between Stargate and Supernatural. She was on a show called, uh, I forget what it was, I think it starts with an S too. But anyway, and she had long dark hair in that one. Mm-hmm. And then I saw pictures of her in Supernatural, and she's like attacking cats with like a sonic screwdriver or something. Oh, it's the, the Angel doctor. Blade. The Angel okay. Blade, yeah. And I'm like, hey, no, because she's alone. She's so. like, it's after Cass comes back from hell purgatory i can't even remember which one at this point but like she pulled him out and like has him under mind control and tries to get him to like betray oh, dean okay. and kill dean which eventually snaps him out of it but yeah she's not super nice in that series yeah, so. it looks like the doctor screwdriver so yeah it's kind of like a yeah. or that might have been the i think it was an angel blade it's probably an angel blade okay um, and then i also read that apparently like crowley says he had a relationship with her Back in Mesopotamia or something. I don't know. But yeah, that, apparently she's probably Crowley and Cass yeah. are really the only reasons to watch Supernatural. Let's be honest. They're pretty. Yeah, I kind of went into a little bit of a hole after seeing that. I'm like, what's going on? So, yeah. Because she has like <laughs> yeah. short, like r- reddish, like almost burgundy, darker mm-hmm. red. Yeah, she has like that. darker. Yeah. Part of why I didn't recognize her as Naomi at first. And then I was like, wait a minute, I know her. Yeah, she's just, I forget what season that is because at this point it's yeah. all kind of. I would say also, yeah, like 20 or 25 years later from this as well yes yeah so, it's yeah. been a long time she wasn't um, quite a few it was quite a length of time that she's in the series it looks like quite a few yeah years. it's like a whole season she's in there yeah. and then she gets defeated eventually um but there's always new bad guys on that show so yeah. and then she's also actually in one episode of forever night which is kind of cool also as a doctor who was also named naomi ironically but yeah, yeah she and that would and that was actually so. before this that hmm. was like 95 i think so. yeah that was a while before this yeah, sometimes so. our chronology is off so yeah i don't put them in chronological order which i'm sure drives yeah. nick crazy but i don't do that well it's also just weird because we're also talking about things like right now like this episode is like 25 almost 26 years old so i'm so old old. (laughs) and so like when we're like saying like stuff and then like you know the stargate stuff was after and then the supernatural stuff is really recent as far as yeah that kind of stuff goes so and then she's doing stuff now too like after supernatural so yeah it's kind of stuff going on so jane castle 
who was actually listed as Jay Castle because they apparently forgot to change the name in the end credits when the character was recast as a woman. But she's Skinner's lawyer, and she is played by Tasha Sims, who played Ellen Reardon in Eve and then also oh. played Laura Kelly in Excelsis Day. Nice. And again, as I mentioned those last two times, she stands out to me because she reminds me of someone I know in real life. And so I'm like, hey, <laughs> So anyway, this is her last credited appearance in the X-Files. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I am curious, though, because she does stand out. We do know that people have appeared in X-Files and haven't been credited mm-hmm. sometimes. And so I'm curious if maybe she does reappear and just not in a credited role, like in a super small role. So it'll be interesting because it's like she does visually stand out to me since she reminds me of someone I know. Right. It'll so be you interesting might to see her. if maybe I, if I notice her, then she's not actually credited. So, yeah. So we come back from the credits. And probably a commercial break in there. Yeah, I don't know if they did that or not. I think they did. I remember okay. them, but I don't know for sure. Like, again, my so memory sucks. it would be like teaser, credits, and then commercial And then break, commercial. And That's then, kind of how I back. remember that, it going. That, that would fit, yeah. But I, I couldn't, I wouldn't, like, bet money on it because I'm not that sure. Uh, but Mulder flashes his badge to a cop at the crime scene, and he heads inside. And the body is wheeled out past him while he's coming in. So Mulder kind of flashes his badge at the others who are inside, and he asks for Detective Waltos. And Waltos is luckily one of the men that Mulder asks, and Mulder tells him that he works with Assistant Director Skinner, and he'd like to speak with him. And we can kind of see Skinner in the room beyond, and he's sitting in a chair. And Mulder's phone rings, and Waltos says that Mulder can speak with Skinner after he gives a statement down at the station. And Mulder's like, why not get a statement here? And Walter says that Skinner is apparently suffering from a minor memory lapse. So Mulder answers his phone and it's Scully and she's driving in a car in some pretty heavy rain, actually, mm-hmm. which isn't important. But I just <laughs> noticed no, that she's driving that, through uh, a rainstorm. We're going to talk about that later because it's not important at all, except for the fact that she should not be talking on her phone in that kind of rain. Yeah. But, yeah. No. I mean, you <laughs> really should said she be. initiated the call. Yeah, you shouldn't really. Unless so she you have, like, like a hands-free. decided to make that phone call. It wasn't like her phone rang and she was like, oh, shit, and had to answer. Yeah. She like, was like, I'm going to call someone in this torrential downpour that I can barely see through my windshield. I'm like squinting and leaning forward to my windshield as I'm driving. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it's also because, like, I don't know, cell phones weren't really that common back then. And so, I don't know, maybe people didn't realize how dangerous it was. But, yeah, if, unless you have a hands-free thing, don't don't use your phone in a car. Yeah, but, it's yeah. Good. But, yeah, it's not a, yeah, it has nothing to do with the script at all that she is driving in torrential rain. Yeah, it just happens to be raining a lot. So she tells Mulder that she got his message that Skinner called in a homicide. And Mulder says it seems to be more complicated than that. It seems like he had a front row seat. And Scully doesn't understand. And Mulder says that he doesn't either because they won't let him talk to Skinner. But at that moment, we see Skinner is being escorted down the hall past Mulder. So Mulder gets his attention. And Skinner tells him that he appreciates his concern but there's no need for Mulder to get involved in this. And then Skinner continues down the hall. Mulder asks Waltos what happened. And Waltos tells him that apparently Skinner met the victim in a bar and they decided to get a room together. When he woke up, he found her lying next to him with a broken neck. That's all Skinner says he remembers. And Mulder asks, you don't believe him? And Waltos is like, well, he's refusing to take a polygraph, which isn't helping his credibility. And Mulder asks if the victim has been identified. And Waltos is like, well, she had no purse, nothing with her name on it, so not yet. And Mulder's like, well, maybe she was killed by an intruder. And Waltos box saying that he's been on the job for 18 years. He knows the drill. 
And Mulder's like, well, if that's true, you should be interviewing hotel employees, housekeeping. And Waltos cuts him off. And he says he appreciates that Skinner is his colleague, but he's also a suspect. And Waltos starts to leave. And Mulder hands him his card. And he says he'd appreciate a call once they finish questioning Skinner. And Waltos is kind of like, all right. And he leaves. So then Mulder puts the phone back to his ear and asks if Scully heard any of that. So she's been listening the whole time. <laughs> Driving in this torrential rain, like <laughs> listening, like and probably even more like paying attention to the phone because she can barely hear because she's trying to hear like as like Mulder is stereotypically like recording this call sort of kind of thing, playing it over the phone. It's like, oh, my God. Anyway, she says she heard most of it and she's on her way. And Mulder's like, no, I want you to get down to the coroner's office and look at the body and he'll meet her there. And then he heads into the bedroom and he sees the body outline where Sale's body was. And they actually use black tape because the sheets are white. And so white tape would not show up. So they use mm-hmm. black tape, which is nice. So, yeah. yeah. And Detective Waltos is played by Tom Mason, who was in Apocalypse Now, as well as a whole host of television shows, including Murder, She Wrote, Party of Five, and Law and & Order. And his most recent credit was an episode of White Collar. Oh! Which I love, so. Yeah, I'm still not getting your leverage action, but. No, but with my other con artist show, so, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, and the whole time, he is not happy that Mulder is there. Definitely no. Not. He doesn't want the FBI stepping in on his stuff. I mean, he it comes doesn't. up more so later when Mulder's like, well, have you? And he's like, hey, I've been on the job. But yeah, even from the get-go, he's kind of like, shit, fucking FBI is here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So in the coroner's office, we see Scully is in medical scrubs, and she's speaking into her tape recorder. And she says the lack of any contusions or lacerations would strongly suggest the victim's injuries were sustained without a struggle. She would have to concur with the coroner's report that the murder was probably a sudden and violent act in a vulnerable moment. Mulder comes in and Scully finishes with her recording. uh, And she says that she found nothing to recommend further investigation. So she's like doing, she's not part of the official one the coroner already did his stuff and then she's been allowed to look at it after yeah she's just allowed to yeah. kind of take a look and kind of see if she concurs with yeah. what he said but yeah so does, scully so. tells Mulder that the victim's spinal cord was crushed the cervical vertebrae were fractured in what appears to be manual trauma and Mulder asks if skinner's prints are the only ones on the body and scully says so far there was no semen but the victim did have irritation that might indicate a latex allergy and then she asks Mulder if they learn anything else and Mulder says, yeah, her name was Karina Sales. She was a legal secretary for one of the criminal defense firms in town. Apparently, she was fired a few weeks ago, though, over an indiscretion. She was doing some moonlighting by taking on work for one of the firm's clients on the side. And Scully is like, what kind of work? And Mulder says the client operates an escort service. And basically, long story short, she was working as a sex worker. For the escort service. And Scully tells him to give her five minutes and then they can leave. And she kind of looks shooken up by that a little bit. And so Mulder's like, I'll go get the car. And so Scully turns off the lights. And then as she's getting ready to leave, she turns back to look at the body. And there's something glowing around the edges of Sales' mouth and nostrils. And Mm -hmm. Scully makes note of what appears to be residual phosphorescence around the nose and mouth saying she'll have to have it analyzed. And so she records that like as a note. Mm-hmm. So. so we watched a lot of Scooby-Doo and maybe <laughs> Sales was pretending to be a ghost to scare people away from she's the hotel. She's using phosphorus paint. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that's, that's what I think of when I see phosphorus I now. We like, will oh. see Karina Sales later also like as a body. She's not going to come back to life or reappear or something like that. So don't get, yeah. But 
they linger on her body so often that you just keep waiting for her to like move or sit mm-hmm. up or do something. I swear. It's like, yeah, no, it's the way, true. The, the way they frame it and with the music and the lighting, like when Scully's like going in to like look at the glowy stuff and get ready to touch it, you suspect her to be like, like the eyes to pop open or the mouth open or something. Uh-huh. And, like, and then like later when her and Mulder are looking at the body, like you just expect it to do something, but it doesn't, but it's kind of like, no. expecting <laughs> it too. So, yeah. yeah. So then we're at one, two, two, three Hanover street in Georgetown. So Mulder and Scully knock on the door to an apartment and they ask for Lorraine Kelleher. And the woman who answers says she's busy but they flash their badges and enter. So she calls for Kelleher and the apartment's really fancy. And Scully notes that business must be booming. Mulder's like, I think you mean banging. Cause he can't resist, <laughs> he can't resist making the joke. Right. Uh, so Scully gives him a look. She's, she's like, Mulder, this is not time for joking. And Kelleher appears at the top of the stairs and she's putting on earrings. And she asks if whatever this is about can wait because she's running late for an appointment. And Scully says they want to ask about an employee of hers, Karina Sales. And Kelleher mentions that she's 10 minutes late for a meeting with Sales, actually. So she's that's where she's heading. And Mulder's like, well, Sales isn't going to be making that meeting. She was murdered last night. And Kelleher's like, oh, how? And Mulder's like, we're still trying to figure that out. So Scully asks if she was working last night. And if so, who paid for her company? And Kelleher's like, well, I can't give you that information. You'd be surprised who some of my clients are. And Mulder's like, we don't need a list of your clients. We just need one name. Who hired Karina Sales? And Kelleher reluctantly tells them that Sales called her last night and said she met someone in a bar who was interested in a transaction. And she took his credit card. The man was Walter Skinner. Yeah. And that scene goes on a lot longer. They go back. It and does. Forth and she's like, she's like, yeah. we both work for the government, you could say, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So as they leave the building, Scully says it doesn't sound like Skinner. And Mulder is like, he could have been a little more discreet. And Scully says that discretion is the least of Skinner's problems. And Mulder asks if she really thinks Skinner killed sales. And Scully's like, look, I feel the same way as you do about Skinner. But we were just shown a record with his credit card number on it. And Mulder says that credit card fraud happens every day. But Scully points out that Skinner was in bed with a sex worker at the time of her death, and he's offered no explanation or alibi. The truth is they don't really know Skinner or what he does off duty. They don't really think about his personal life. And Mulder says that they do know that he's put his ass on the line for them multiple times, and they owe it to him to find out what really happened. And Scully is like, even if that means proving his guilt, Mulder kind of looks at it a little bit, and then his phone rings, and he answers it. And then he thanks someone before hanging up. And he tells Scully it was Detective Waltos that Skinner's been released on his own recognizance. Oh. Yeah. Well, at least Skinner's been released. That's good. Mm-hmm. So we're at the second district police station and Skinner's walking out of the building just as Mulder and Scully pull up. They jog to catch up with him, but he tells them that this doesn't concern either of them. And he keeps kind of briskly walking. And Scully's like, what happened last night? And Skinner's like, read the police report if you're curious. And Mulder asks if it explains why there's a sex worker in the morgue with Skinner's fingerprints all over her. And Skinner stops and stares, and he looks surprised. And Mulder realizes that Skinner didn't know Sales was a sex worker. Then across the street, Skinner sees the same older woman he saw in bed with Sales, and she's standing in a red raincoat watching him. 
and he turns and he moves past Mulder to run up to her and like he runs across the street and he's almost hit by two different cars. So he's not looking both ways. And the woman mouths something, but then this bus passes between Skinner and the woman. And when it finishes going, she's walking away. And so he chases. And when he catches up with the woman in the red raincoat, it's not the old woman. She's younger and she's brunette. And she's like, oh, I heard what happened. And I was coming to the police station to see you. And Skinner walks away and she calls for him. And so Scully, like Mulder and Scully have followed Skinner, probably not as quickly because they didn't want to get hit by cars. And Scully asks the woman if she knows him. And the woman says, yeah, I'm Sharon Skinner. I'm his wife. Yeah. She's like, well, I used to. Yeah. I thought I used to or something like that. Yeah. Like I thought I did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's his wife, apparently. Mm -hmm. And it's commercial. Yep. No one died? No. But... Skinner's wife is a succubus or a witch or something, and she is framing him for murder so she gets the house because he won't sign the divorce papers. Oh, yeah, yep. could be. Yep, I think his could wife be. is a succubus. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know intent yet, but I mean, right now it kind of seems like maybe trying to get rid of him. Don't know, but yeah, I think his wife's a succubus. Okay, good theory. Yep. yep, we'll see. We'll see if it holds up. So inside the police station, Scully and Mulder sit with Sharon. And are they, are they in the PlayStation? I guess I think I so. Yeah, I yeah. think they're inside it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll say they are. I don't know where they're at actually. It makes sense they would be there. So it's the nearest place to go sit down. Could be a coffee shop or something. Anyway. So no, it's the PlayStation. Okay. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to the location. <laughs> so it's like they're just talking. I was really intrigued by the fact that Sharon has like zero lips. It was just kind of weird. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> like she's wearing lipstick, but she doesn't really have any lips. It was just kind of weird. Anyway, so then we're inside the police station and Scully and Mulder are sitting with Sharon and Scully tells her they didn't even know Skinner was married. And Sharon tells them that's one of the things Walter has always been good at keeping secrets. And I mean, it's probably good if you're in the FBI. I guess. Anyway, but anyway, she says they have actually been together for almost eight months, though. Sharon says that Skinner lives under the misguided notion that silence is strength and that he's built a wall to keep everyone out, especially her. And then she like just, you know, talking about the marriage stuff. And she just like one day I realized we were no longer married. We were like just roommates. So then Scully's phone rings. And so she steps aside to hit the call. And then Sharon tells Mulder that he was one of the few people Skinner ever mentioned from work. And he didn't say much, but she could tell that he respected Mulder. And that's probably why Sharon feels that she can ask Mulder if Skinner really killed that woman. And Mulder doesn't answer. And then Scully hangs up and apologizes. He's like, Mulder, we got to go. And she tells Sharon that she has their numbers if she needs to reach them. And then Sharon's like, you know, talking to Mulder. She's like, you haven't answered my question as Mulder's getting up. And Mulder's like, no, I don't think he did it. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah, Mulder does not believe Skinner is a cold-blooded killer. Mulder has chosen a side. <laughs> and Sharon Skinner is played by Jennifer Hetrick. She had recurring roles on L.A. Law and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She's also appeared on Diagnosis Murder, NCIS, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, among others. So we're back at the FBI office in Skinner's office, but there's another man sitting at Skinner's desk, and he's going through his papers. And then we see there's a second man off to the side, and he's going through Skinner's files. Mulder and Scully walk in and ask what's going on. And the man tells them that he's Special Agent Bonacasey. He's been called up from the Norfolk office to coordinate this inquiry. 
And Mulder makes a comment about how rifling through a man's office is an invasion of privacy. And Bonacasey tells them that they're operating under the guidelines specified by the Office of Professional Conduct, a protocol he understands they've both opted to disregard. And Mulder's like, what does that mean? And Bonacasey tells them that they need to make themselves available tomorrow afternoon for a formal hearing regarding A.D. Skinner's case. And Mulder's like, what case? He hasn't even been charged yet. And Bonacasey says the hearing is to assess and determine his ability to continue in his position of assistant director. Meanwhile, they're going to appoint their own investigators to look into the criminal case. But he wants Mulder and Scully to stop looking into it. And Mulder's like, why? In case we turn up evidence that might support Skinner's innocence? And Bonacasey tells them that any evidence he's turned up, he'll be expected to present tomorrow at the hearing. So Scully just kind of like, she's like, okay. And she leaves. She just like turns and leaves and Mulder follows her out. Yep. So in the X-Files office, Mulder's at his desk and he tells Scully that Skinner isn't answering his phone. So Mulder's like, you know, trying to call Skinner. And Scully says Skinner is behaving like a guilty man. Mulder says his marriage is breaking up and he's stressed out. And Scully says that's what worries her. It speaks to his state of mind. If he's willing to hire a sex worker, what else is he capable of? And Mulder's like, like, give him the benefit of the doubt. And Scully's like, I am. But Mulder points out that Skinner didn't even seem to know that Sells was a sex worker when he mentioned it. And Scully says, maybe he doesn't remember. And Mulder's like, what do you say? Either he doesn't remember or he's a liar. And Scully says, not necessarily. Scully seems really hung up on the whole prostitute thing, I have to say. Mm -hmm. She does. She, look, I love Scully. She's a little judgy. She's a little, She's a little Catholic in this episode. Yeah. I, yeah, I, she... I, I wasn't going to bring it up at all. Cause even the first time when like, we're talking about like Mulder's like, you know, he could have been more discreet. And it sounds like when, when you read the words, it's not like Mulder's the one being judgy, but in the scene, it's actually Scully being judgy about well, it. Well, yeah. Mulder so... just wishes that he had been more discreet <laughs> yeah, about it. Like, not could have been hot. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Scully is kind of like, mm, shouldn't be hiring sex workers. Yeah, yeah she's if you're going to hire a sex worker, you probably kill people too. So whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> she's a little, ju- I mean, Scully is always, <laughs> always kind of judgmental. She rags on people yeah. with like retail jobs and stuff. I mean, she definitely has some privilege and some judgy opinions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love I her. I mean, but... those are written by white dudes. So I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not surprising, but yeah. So then we see Scully showing Mulder a videotape of a patient in bed. And it's kind of like, you know, like CC footage, like from a room or something. And the person is like, they seem like they're asleep, but they're moving around erratically in bed. And of course they got like wires on their head and all that kind of stuff too. They're like in a sleep place. Anyway, Scully tells Mulder that the man is running away from a train. He saw coming right at him, obviously in his dream. And several times a month, he ran away from that train until he broke his wife's arm when he threw her to the floor with his thrashing around. Mm-hmm. And some older like night terrors and Scully says, no, night terrors are different. The clinical term for this condition is REM sleep behavior disorder. It's rare, but there have been about a dozen cases of sleep related violence attributed to it. And Mulder asked what this has to do with Skinner. And Scully says the tape came from the Bethesda sleep disorder clinic where Skinner has been receiving treatment for the past three months. <gasps> oh, twist. Yep. So she hands Mulder a file. And so according to a psychologist, Skinner has a recurring dream where he's confronted by an old woman who sometimes straddles his chest, suffocating him. And Mulder's like, you think he killed Sales in his sleep? And Scully says he may have dreamt he was defending himself against this old woman. 
A lot of these patients have no recollection of their nocturnal activities, which might explain Skinner's amnesia. And then Mulder's like, that's not such a strange story. And I'm like, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. And then he gets up and he pulls out a book and he tells Scully that in the Middle Ages, he's going to say it. Encounters like this could have been attributed to a succubus. (laughs) Boom. Nailed it. Oh, yep. Yep. This was not me going back and changing notes. This was me in real time saying she's succubus. Uh-huh. Succubus. Anyway, succubuses often appear as old women. Sometimes in the story, the succubus would get so attached, she'd kill any woman competing for his affection. I don't think I've ever heard that part, but we need it. So anyway, he shows Scully an illustration in a book of a woman touching a man's chest and her hands are surrounded by a bright light. And Scully's like, what is that? You know, the bright light part. And Mulder tells her reports of residual luminous phenomena have been associated with some succubus encounters, at least according to mythology. And then Scully is like, um, I like feel weird even mentioning this to you, but I found something in my postmortem exam that maybe you should see. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> so at the morgue, they pull Sale's body out of the drawer. And Scully puts on gloves and she tells Mulder that it's a circular patch around the victim's nose and mouth that glowed in the dark. So Mulder turns off the lights and there's no glowing residue on the body. Nothing. So Mulder's like, well, does it require a UV light or something? And Scully's like, no, it was visible to the naked eye. She did get a sample and she sent it to Chemtalks for testing. Her first hunch was that it might be some kind of fungal growth. But the only substance they detected was amylase, which is found in saliva. So she had them send it to the elemental analysis unit, and the results should be back by now. So Scully calls the elemental analysis unit and asks about the results, and then thanks them and hangs up. And Mulder's like, what'd they say? And Scully's like, that there was no analyzable substance in the sample container. And Mulder's like, are you sure you saw something? And Scully's like, why would I make that up? And Mulder's like, well, maybe that's why Skinner is running. He's afraid because he doesn't know for sure that he didn't do it. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. Which would be terrifying, to be honest. Yeah. It caught me weird as that, like, because she sent it to one place and then they were going to send it to the next place. And then when it got to the next place, they're like, there was nothing in it to analyze. It's like, well, that's not on Scully. That's on the place that had it before. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like there was like just nothing in the container, not that they couldn't find anything. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just not understanding what they meant when they said that. Because that is exactly what they said. So, or at least that's what she said they said. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so Skinner is sitting on a couch and he's drinking some whiskey and there's a knock on his door and it's Sharon. And she says he wasn't answering his phone. And Skinner says that he unplugged it. And he says he hasn't been sleeping much lately. And so he lets her in. And inside, he's like in an apartment. And it's like, there's nothing on the walls. It's all white. And the place is like full of boxes. And she's like, you haven't even got around to unpacking. And Skinner's like, well, you know, work. And so we're assuming, like, she says they haven't been together for eight months. So he's been in this apartment for like eight months. <laughs> and still hasn't unpacked. I mean, I totally have renewed my lease recently. And I still have boxes from when we moved here last year that have not been unpacked. So I feel you, Skinner. Um, yeah i totally get it too i have well and i have like a storage unit but i also have boxes in my closet that just have been in my closet since i moved here three years ago and now they're just going to stay in boxes till i move (laughs) again so that's how it goes sometimes yep so i feel you skinner 
anyway, and he's like, well, you know, work. And then he asks her what she's doing there. And if she wants to satisfy some morbid curiosity about what happens. And she says, that's not why she came. She just wants to make sure he's okay. And he says he is, and he doesn't need any company right now. And she argues that she isn't company. She's his wife. And he's like, ex-wife. And that she initiated divorce. And then she's like, only because you didn't have the guts to ask for one, which still doesn't change the fact that you guys want a divorce. So you still would be ex-wife. Anyway, she moves close to him and strokes his cheek and says she just wants him to let her in just this once because she's a succubus. (laughs) Anyway, then he asks why. And she says, because she knows him and she knows he's scared and could use some comfort, which is exactly what a succubus would say. (laughs) And also that he'll never let her give that to him. And she pulls away and puts on her coat and is like, take care of yourself. And then she leaves. And then he sits back down on the couch. And as he's sitting there, he reaches down into a box and he pulls out a framed wedding photo of the two of them. And he's looking at it and he's got hair. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) Later, it's dark and Skinner's asleep on the sofa and he's still holding the wedding photo. So it's like on his chest, right? Because he's kind of like just conked out on the couch. And then he hears like a scream, like a wailing and he jolts up and he drops the wedding photo. But then there's a sound of glass breaking and he sees the old woman in the red coat, exactly like Sharon was wearing. And she's like standing like in a little like hallway area of the apartment. And she's like, ah, but then suddenly she's gone. And then there's a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. Skinner opens the door and he finds Detective Waltos and another officer there. And Waltos tells him to grab his coat and to come with them. They want to ask him a few questions. And Skinner's like, what's going on? And Waltos says that Skinner's wife has been in an accident. And Skinner's like, is she okay? And Waltos says someone ran her off the road and he's going to have to come with them. And then as Skinner's like getting his stuff, we hear Waltos is like, and we'll need to see the keys to your car. And so Skinner like grabs his coat and his glasses. And then we see the wedding photo is on the coffee table. And the glass in the frame is all broken. Oh, no. Because he dropped it. But, yeah. Anyway, commercial. Because unlike Santa, who knew that Nancy was a vampire when he married her, Skinner obviously did not know that Sharon was a succubus. And so, oh, yeah. I mean, if she yeah. is a succubus, clearly I he think did she's not a succubus. Understand. Yeah. That would explain a, a lot, actually. Yeah. So then we're back at the second district police station and it's 744 a.m. Skinner is in an interrogation room and Mulder comes in. And Skinner stands asking how Sharon is. Mulder tells him that she's in surgery right now to relieve the pressure on her brain. Scully's trying to get more information. And Skinner grabs his coat and he says he has to see her, but Mulder stops him and tells him that he can't. And Skinner's like, why not? I haven't been charged. And Mulder says, not yet, but they're building a pretty convincing case. And Skinner's like, do you think I did this to Sharon? And Mulder says, no, but unfortunately he's in the minority. So then Skinner asks about Scully and Mulder tells him that Scully doesn't understand why he's not trying to defend himself. And Skinner like angrily asks like defend myself against what? If he knew what was happening, he would try to, and he just kind of trails off and he sighs. He's like, I don't know what to believe anymore. And so Mulder asks about the old woman in the dream. Who is she? And Skinner doesn't answer. And Mulder's like, if you don't start trusting someone, you're not going to stand a chance. And Skinner is obviously surprised that Mulder knows about the old woman. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently Skinner in the script originally replied to this line with that's hard to hear coming from you, but it was cut. Yeah, 
I'm willing to bet that David Duchovny pulled some strings on that because he didn't want Skinner to sound cooler than Mulder. But <laughs> kind of too late for that yeah. to be happening. Uh, Skinner is, station. Skinner's but, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So Skinner says that a few months ago, he started seeing her again. And Mulder's like, again? And Skinner's like, I told you about Vietnam, how I was caught in that ambush. And Mulder remembers, yeah, Skinner was nearly dead. And Skinner corrects him. There was nothing near about it. He was a dead man. And Mulder's like, is that when you first saw her? And Skinner's like, I saw a lot of things over there. Didn't give much credence to any of them. And he got through it like most 18-year-olds by numbing himself however he could, including some drugs. And Mulder's kind of like, oh, so you kind of like dismissed the woman as another hallucination. And Skinner's like, I tried. She was there with him when he was watching himself die. And then she lifted him up and she carried him away from the light. And Mulder's like, maybe she's trying to protect you now. And Skinner's like, from what? And Mulder's like, that's a question only you can answer. But Skinner has no idea what it could be. And then behind the two-way mirror, we see that the cigarette smoking man is watching them. (gasps) And they, I have to say, were totally about ready to kiss. And the cigarette man was waiting for it because they were totally like all closer and closer and looking at each other. They were about to smooch. So, yeah. Also, just... it's interesting that the cigarette smoking man is in this episode because it's not a myth arc. Yeah, I was going to mention that later, but I might as well mention it now. Much like last episode, I think this is an unofficial myth arc episode, especially oh. with some stuff we're going to find out later. It directly relates to a myth arc episode. Mm, true. So... Yeah. Anyway. So then we're at the DC police impound garage and Mulder and Scully walk up to Skinner's car. And Scully says, according to Waltos's report, when they arrived at Skinner's apartment, the engine was still warm, even with all the rain. And she signs a light on the front and on the front driver's side, the turn signal part is like broken and stuff. The glass is broken. The little amber lights are busted out and there's a dent and some scrapes and the paint that's on the scrapes matches the dent in Sharon Skinner's car. The only prints they found on the steering wheel were Skinner's. And so Mulder takes Scully's flashlight and goes around to the passenger seat and he gets in. And Scully reminds him that Skinner's hearing is in half an hour. And he tells her he'll meet her there and he pulls out a pocket knife. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, he starts to like cut the airbag from the <laughs> steering wheel because I guess the airbag had deployed in Skinner's car. Uh-huh. Which is like, okay, that too. And he says he's collecting evidence. Oh, yeah. So then we're the, then we're at the <laughs> FBI Psy Crime Lab, which I I'm know. sorry, I, I cannot take that name seriously. It's like almost no. as bad as apology as policy. It's just I cannot take Psy Crime. It's just Mm-mm. it's ridiculous. Yeah. They didn't anyway. know what to call it in the nineties. Okay, they were still they could have just that. call it the Crime Lab. They could have yeah. called it the the, the forensic Crime Lab, the anything Psy Crime. Oh, God. <laughs> 90s what are you doing anyway okay so agent pendrel he asked Mulder if he knows how an airbag works and Mulder says that your car hits something and the airbag inflates and you don't die <laughs> not wrong but pendrel says it's not air that fills it but nitrogen which i mean is air but you know anyway and that the image they're interested in is found in the byproduct of that explosion and the finely dispersed sodium metal that coats the interior of the airbag. And then he shows Mulder an image of a face imprinted on the bag. And we can kind of see it's a face. I mean, it's not really 
And he says that the face is whoever was behind the wheel when the airbag hit, because it, it, you know, it comes out and boom, hits you in the face. And so Mulder says it doesn't really look like a face, though. And Pendrel says it's not yet. He's scanning the fabric, and then they're going to run it through a software that translates into dimensionalized likeness based on, like, pressure and density of the chemical and all that kind of stuff, and that it'll need to be fine-tuned. And on the computer monitor, we can kind of see, like, the computer doing, like, its computer digi stuff of, like, I'm building a face, I'm building a face, I'm building a face. And then Mulder asks how long it'll take, and Pendrel says it sounds like he needs it in a hurry, and Mulder says, I'm not the one who needs it. So... Agent Pendrel getting a recurring role action. So, yeah, actually, he comes um, back a lot. So yeah. that's kind of yeah, cool. Like he's, he's got a good Jimmy Olsen vibe kind of going on. Yeah, he so, does. Yeah. And I like his little crush on Scully, too. It comes yeah. up again. I think this again. is I his first interaction with Mulder, correct? Yes. I think so. I think everything so. else has just been Scully. Yeah. So I don't even think Mulder's been in a scene with him before. Honestly, I could be wrong. Oh, I don't remember. It's hard for me to say because I'm a couple episodes ahead and I know that he has interactions with Mulder and I can't remember exactly where they Oh, are. so yeah, keeping it straight. Yeah. Because they all, That's I don't fair. remember chronology. Yeah. I think it's always Scully because then he had the one with Scully and what's his name and what's her face too when they were doing the thing. Oh, yeah. When they're trying to figure in, out who shot Skinner. In, um, Apocrypha. And then, yeah. So yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I think this might be his first with Mulder and then he does keep coming back. So that's cool. I'm glad. Oh, cool. They have so somebody. he does. Because, okay. I was, yeah. I was thinking they were going to keep, they were going to be like, look, it's Pendrel, it's Pendrel, it's Pendrel. And then Pendrel just like, boom, he's gone. We have to I mean, again. he might disappear so, eventually, but it's nice okay. that he still seems to be in the yeah, picture cool. for a All while. Right. Good job. Good job. Yeah. X-Files. I know we don't need a new person every week. We can definitely no, stick with one guy. Like what's the turnover rate of the FBI the crime lab? So yeah, I know. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Give it some. They're all like, oh, to sci- I cannot work. I cannot have my checks a side crime when I go to the bank. I just can't <laughs> do that. I have to. I have to get another job. Well, then you have that so. one woman who's trying to justify her position by making Scully look oh, at him before telling yeah. her that Mulder's fingerprints are on the <laughs> knife. Like, oh my god! Really, she yeah. has to make some work for herself. So maybe there's just not the enough fingerprint to do. lab. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was in the side crime lab, so she obviously is one of Pendrel's mm-hmm. coworkers. But yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully she got transferred. <laughs> So. so then we're at the office of professional conduct hearing which sounds fun yeah opc and skinner is sitting at a conference table across from bonacasey and two other agents and scully enters the room and bonacasey says we're still waiting for Mulder," but one of the other agents is like we're done waiting we're going to begin so scully takes a seat at the table so bonacasey is sitting at the head of the table and he asks scully to go over the physical evidence again and Scully says none of the physical evidence they recovered directly ties Skinner to Sale's death. And then he mentions that she went over the body again after the coroner, and he asks if she found anything of note. And she tells him she found a substance that was unidentifiable, some kind of naturally occurring enzyme around the victim's nose and mouth. And then he's like, are you withholding anything? And Scully says she's reluctant to speak for Mulder, but Mulder has a theory that the substance could have come from a visitation. And Bonacasey's like, do you have another explanation? And she does not. And he asks if she believes in paranormal phenomena. And Scully says that whatever extreme cases she's seen, she's always viewed them through the lens of science. She believes that's why she was assigned to the X-Files. And he asks if Skinner has ever been affected or enchanted by Mulder's notions. And Scully says, no, not at all. And yet, Bonacasey says... Skinner has signed off on whatever extreme cases Mulder and Scully elect to investigate. And Scully says she believes Skinner has respect for their work. And he asks if Scully would protect him by trumping up unidentifiable evidence. 
And Scully insists she would not. And then she's dismissed. And Scully says she's not finished. But another agent says, yes, you are. And Scully kind of looks at Skinner and then she gets up and walks out. Yeah. And so it does seem in this scene that this may be a whole thing just to get rid of the X-Files. Yeah. Getting rid of. Which, you know, they're always they're mm-hmm. always trying to get rid of the X-Files. Yeah, they like. kind of showed their hand here in this hearing. So and we had a commercial. And then Scully calls Mulder. And there's like a weird echo thing. And where Mulder's like, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. And then we see Mulder in the hallway. And they realize they're like standing behind each other, basically, and talking on the phone. So he puts his phone away. And she tells him he missed the hearing. Not that it would have made any difference. And Mulder asks how Skinner is. And Scully says, out of a job. And Mulder's like, ah. And then Scully says he would have had a better chance against a firing squad. And Mulder asks if they use the X-Files against him. (laughs) And Scully says, how did you know? And Mulder says that they found a weakness and they're exploiting it. Remove Skinner and it weakens them and the X-Files. And then he shows Scully a printout with like a really... Uh-huh. Badly rendered face on it. Actually, the the printout looks worse than the computer screen we saw when they were in the side crime lab. So I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, it's basically a bunch of like colored uh-huh. squares. And she asks, "What is it?" And Mulder says, "It's the man who stole Skinner's car and <gasps> ran his wife off the road." <gasps> and Skull is like, "Why would they use such an elaborate scheme just to set Skinner up? Why not just kill him?" And Mulder's like, well, they tried that once, and a second attempt would be too obvious. Plus, Mulder suspects that Skinner is worth more alive in disgrace than dead and buried. And Scully asks who the person on the printout is, and Mulder doesn't know. Danny couldn't find anything, but he's still running it. But this guy is just a pawn, and pawns always make the first move. So Scully guesses that he's also probably the one who hired the sex worker. Scully is hung up on the sex worker, I'd say. <laughs> Well, they do need to know who hired her, right? Because if it wasn't Skinner. I know, but it's always yeah. really hung up on that. I am glad that Mulder is still using Danny to hunt down information. We never meet Danny, but it is a, like a nice recurring thing that he's always calling this one guy to get him to look things up. So I appreciate that. I hope Danny's getting fruit baskets. Maybe. Maybe also, I would love a fruit basket. I don't know like why. That big seen. one that Ralphie gives Mrs. Yeah. Shields. Oh my God. That looks yeah. delicious. I would love that. <laughs> if anyone ever wants to send me a gift, don't send flowers. I can't have them with my allergies and my cats. I'm so happy. I can make Christmas story references to you now and you get that. I know. <laughs> now I know what's going on, which is funny because the yellow eyes thing also comes up a lot on Supernatural. And every time they're like yellow eyes, I think of that movie now. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. And I have used that. I've used that so many times in X-Files and you were just like, oh, what the hell are you talking about? But now, you know. So known as half the battle. So, yep. so Mulder and Scully arrive at Kelleher's building and there's police tape and ambulance and police cars out front. So that's not good. Hmm. And Mulder flashes a badge and he asks what happened here. And an officer tells him it was a jumper. Happens whenever it rains for two straight days, which if that happened in Seattle, that would be incredibly depressing. I'm like, because man, people in D.C. are weak. weak I weak, know, weak. two days. We've had like whole weeks where you just don't even see the sun and it's like dark all day yeah. and yeah i mean yeah. it's not fun but yeah so they walk over to where there are several officers standing and they're looking up and so they look up and they see kelleher's body is on the glass awning so it's like splayed out on the glass awning and there's like blood trickling out of her mouth mm-hmm. and Mulder's like oh, they got to her first but then scully notices judy fairly the woman who answered kelleher's door in the crowd so they're going to talk to her mm-hmm. and she looks kind of like <gasps> like you saw me and I know like she, she looks, made a run. Yeah. But, she looks yeah. like she's going to bolt, 
But she doesn't because in the next scene, Mulder and Scully are at a diner with Fairley and she's cradling a cup of coffee. And she tells him there's usually something set up in the room to get pictures, tape, whatever, I guess, in the room when people are Mm -hmm. with clients. And Scully tells her that they need her to identify someone. So Mulder shows her the printout and asks if this is the man who hired Karina. She nods and she says the man told her that no one would get hurt. And Mulder's like, well, he lied. And Skinner's not the only person he set up. So Fairley asks if he's saying that this man killed Karina Sales. And Scully's like, yeah, and Kelleher. He's cleaning house. And Mulder asks Fairley to arrange a meeting with this man. And she's like, I can't do that. Kelleher was the only person who spoke with him. But then Mulder's like, well, Kelleher can't really do it because she's dead. And Fairley's like, please don't make me do this. And Mulder's like, look what he did to your friends. You're not safe until this man is caught. And Scully agrees. Like, basically, you know, you need to get this guy off the streets or he's going to come after you. Mm -hmm. And she says that she'll stay with Fairley until he's in custody if she wants. And Mulder pulls out his phone and he tells Fairley to call him and tell the man that she's scared because the FBI questioned her. And so she wants some money to get out of town. And like, you know, tell him you'll meet him at the Ambassador Hotel Bar. So Fairley takes the phone and dials. And when he answers, she tells the man she worked for Lorraine Kelleher. And we see that the man who answers is sitting in a car. And he tells her, he's like, one moment, please. And he hands the phone to another man in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. And she tells this man about the FBI agents. And she's like, I didn't tell them anything, but they scared me. So I need some money so I can get out of here. And the man's like, that can be arranged. So she sets up the meeting at the Ambassador Hotel in one hour. And when he hangs up, we see that the men in the car are actually watching Fairly Mulder and Scully through the cafe window. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, that was pretty obvious that that was going to happen. Yeah. So they're not yeah. being sneaky at all. Whoops. No, because they're like sitting right in front of a window the whole time they're talking to her. She does a really good job of, of doing the like, I'm scared on the phone kind of thing. Like we kind of ran through it pretty quickly, but she does a really good job of that. Like She does. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that the guy who answers, she likes like, oh, you know me, I know I work for. And then he hands it to someone else Uh and that's the person she talks to. That's interesting. Yeah. So let me revisit that in a little bit anyway. So then we see Skinner and he's going into Sharon's hospital room and he's standing over her bed and she appears to be unconscious. She's got like a head wrap on and all that kind of stuff. Right. And Skinner tells her that he's not signing those papers. For a lot of reasons, but most of them are ones he's just realizing himself for the first time. He tells her how he couldn't share the violence and awfulness of the stuff he's seen. And he didn't stop believing in the work, but there were contradictions he couldn't reconcile, and he shoved them all deep down. But what really got him through was knowing that he'd go to bed next to her every night, and that was a reason to wake up in the morning. And then he bends down, and he kisses her head, and then she kind of (gasps) like... And then her heart monitor starts beeping and Skinner's like, oh, you know, cause he doesn't know what's going on. I think with the beeping stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Skinner runs to go get someone. And then as he goes to call for someone, he looks back through the window of her room and he sees the old woman in the bed. And then she turns and beckons to him and holds out her hand. And so he goes back into the room and he takes her hand and then we cut and we see that it's Sharon again. And then she actually starts to say something to him, but then the scene cuts. Mm-hmm. So, and I hate to ruin this moment, but as an actor, 
she could seriously not keep her eyelids from like just traveling all around her face while he was talking the whole time. She was just like <laughs> flicker, 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 even though she's supposed to be like unconscious and everything. So yeah, distracting because we see her like in the foreground while he's doing his little talk, and then you can see her eyelids just all flicker, 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 flicker. So it's kind of like, oh, lady, come on. I wonder if they told her to do that so it looked like she was waking up or something. I don't know. Well, I know, but I what I think was happening is I think she was waiting for the moment when she had to react. Oh right. But it's like she doesn't react until he physically touches her with a kiss. So like that should be your cue. Mm. And so I think she was just waiting for her cue, but yet her cue was physical. So it shouldn't have been an issue. But because mm. I, I as as someone who has had to wait for cues, I know. And but I think that's what probably was going on. And so that makes sense. Yeah. So Mulder sits at the ambassador bar and Waltos is also sitting at a table and he looks at his watch and then he and Mulder kind of exchange a glance and Mulder's drinking coffee. So he takes a sip of coffee while he's waiting and we see one of the men from the car follow a maid into a room. So they're not in the bar with Mulder mm-hmm. and Scully and Fairley are in a room and the phone rings and Scully answers asking if Mulder got him and Mulder's like, he hasn't shown yet. And Scully's like, well, he should have arrived 15 minutes ago. And Fairley is nervous. She does not like any of this and does not want to be a part of it. And she's like, what's going on? And Scully's like, nothing. And Fairley's frustrated. And so she walks into the next room of the hotel suite. And then Scully hears a door open. So she calls for Fairley, who doesn't answer. So then she draws her gun and she tells Mulder to get up there right now. And Mulder tells his backup. He's like, he's upstairs. And they all head out of the bar. Because there's a bunch of like undercover cops at the bar. <laughs> so it's not just Mulder, it's like a whole crew of them. So Scully heads into the next room with her gun drawn, and no one is there. But there's running water in the bathroom. So Scully kicks the door in and she scares Fairly, who's at the sink. And then Fairly sees there's a man behind the door. And so she backs up and the man slams the door into Scully and kind of like pushes her out of the bathroom and then aims his gun at Fairly. And then Mulder and the agents rush out of the elevator into the hall and we hear gunshots ring out. Inside the room, Scully's on the ground rubbing her head. And above her, we see Skinner and he's got a gun in his hand. And Mulder and the others burst into the room and we see the man that attacked Fairley is dead on the bathroom floor and Fairley is sitting on the sink ledge like she's all the way up on the sink, like crying. And Mulder checks on Scully and Waltos and Skinner exchange a look. Yep. I have a couple questions. Me too. I mean, there's a big one, but I'm not going to jump on that one yet because we're going to talk about that in the episode itself in a little bit. But she said she would meet him in the bar and yet she's in a room. Uh-huh. So that's weird. And then also the door was closed. Scully kicks the door open, scares Fairly, and then Fairly sees the dude behind the door. So he was in there already and the door was closed, which means he wasn't behind the door. He was right. just standing there in the corner of the bathroom. Yeah, and she apparently didn't see him. I mean, maybe but when she the opened door the door to the bathroom. So how I don't, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's not super clear. Okay. All right. I'm not the only person who's like, what? Okay. No, it's yeah. it's definitely kind of weird. Cause like yeah. 
maybe she wouldn't see him when she opened the bathroom door, but you think if you were in a bathroom and the door closed and someone was standing well, behind yeah, it, you would look over and be the, like, she would have to close the door. There would be a dude behind it when you closed it. I like, know. Yeah. It's fair. Unless maybe he was in a stall and like crept out. And I don't, I don't even know. Unless she just like walked in and slammed the door behind her. But then it's like, why is the dude already like, why hasn't he killed her already? Cause like, yeah, she doesn't see you. You can just take her out right then and there. Why are you waiting? Cause you're a creepoid. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah, weird. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. All right. This fine. whole yeah, this said. whole setup is a weird situation. So yeah, but it was like it was like she's like I'll meet you in the bar, but then she's not in the well, bar. Well, I get that Mulder's- part because Mulder's there to catch the guy. Although it does make it harder. You're kind of using her as bait, so it does make it harder to figure out who the guy is if you don't. Yeah, have because the that picture there. is not great. So she's obviously seen that dude's face like many times. Because if she's able to like lock onto him from that picture they showed her, she has seen that dude a lot. Yeah, I guess we're supposed out to of ass- a crowd based on that crappy picture Mulder has is like it's going to be hard. I guess we're supposed to assume yeah. that's their plan. But yeah, yeah, because I actually I almost thought Waltos was that guy at first <laughs> when he was sitting at the table. Well, that would be but- interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So then we're back in Skinner's office and he's pulling some crime scene tapes like like, like by order of the FBI sealed all that kind of stuff. He's pulling off his desk drawers. And then Scully and Mulder walk in and Scully hands Skinner the report and tells him that he will see there are several questions that remain unanswered. (laughs) And Skinner opens the report and he's like, the identity of the man that I shot. And Scully tells him they ran his face and fingerprints through every available database, but there have been no matches. And that they're doing a dental record search, but that it'll probably be a dead end too. Also, I talked about this a little bit. That's the dude who answered the phone not the guy that she talked to. I'm pretty sure. Okay. They did look kind of similar. They did. And I'm bad. But I'm faces, pretty sure so that was the guy who answered say. the phone, not the honcho dude that she talked to. So like he has his own little assistant, apparently, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, as for the other man, the phone number they had has. Oh, so they, they do know there's two dudes. Okay. Yeah. So it is the other dude. Yeah. Okay. They know that. How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they knew there was two people because, well, he hands the phone off so she knows, right? But she would have had to have told them about that. You know, she must have. Why wouldn't you say there were two men when I called? Uh, I mean, I would mention that, right? That's weird. Okay, yeah. Anyway, the number that they have has been disconnected and there's no record of the account. And so they know there's two dudes and they don't know which one they killed, I guess. Or maybe they do because TV. I don't know. Anyway, Skinner tells her not to waste her time. She won't find them. Just keep whatever forensic evidence off the body she needs and then bury it. And then Scully starts to leave and she's like standing in the doorway and Mulder's just like standing at the window. And then Skinner asks him if there's something else. And Mulder's like, there's another thing missing from their report. How you knew to be at the hotel last night. And Skinner says he can't fill in that gap because whatever he believes may have happened, it has no place in an official report. And so then Mulder's like, well, then just tell me off the record. And Skinner kind of looks at Mulder, and then he kind of looks at Scully, who's still standing in the doorway. And then he looks back at Mulder, and then he looks away, and he's like, I've got some catching up to do. The OPC did a number on my office. And then he looks back at Mulder and says, I want to thank both of you for the quick turnaround of this report. And so then Scully leaves, and then Mulder kind of hesitates, and he turns around, and he follows. And then Skinner is going through his desk and he finds a really small manila envelope in his desk drawer and he opens it up 
and he slides out his wedding ring. And on the inside, the words love forever Sharon are inscribed on it. And then he slides it onto his finger and then he starts going back to work, moving stuff around on his desk and we fade to black and it's <laughs> over. And Skinner was going to tell Mulder. Scully ruined it because she's just standing there in the doorway. And Skinner's like, being a busybody instead of taking the hints they were both giving her. Because Skinner paused for a while and he, he was going to say, Agent Mulder, it turns out my wife is a succubus. We dated before I went to Vietnam. And it was just like a high school stuff for me, but not for her. And she used her magical succubus powers to save me then and to save me now. Last night, she told me where I needed to be. And that's why I was there. But also, this new information means we can never act on our love because she'll kill you if we do. So sorry. And then, <laughs> and then Mulder's like, oh, and he walks away. That's how it was supposed to end. But no. That would have been a better ending, to be honest. So unfortunately, uh, that is not what we got. I mean, there's nothing that takes that and makes it false. And so that is what I'm going with. He didn't tell I mean, Mulder that, but that is the truth. That that's is the where fan story. fiction exists, right? In the cracks between because canon. There is nothing in the that details. that is disputed by this. And it actually explains a lot of the weirdness. It does well. actually explain so, a lot of it. Because otherwise... His wife, his wife is a succubus. And so they dated before he went into the... Because he wasn't drafted, right? We do know that he joined. He told Mulder that. He wasn't drafted. He joined. But they dated in high school. He left. She was already locked onto him. So when she felt that he was dying, she used her succubus powers to save him. And they came back. And then maybe it took a while because he was like, oh, I don't know. Because they married apparently in 79. So then they were married. And she's been using her succubus powers to keep him alive this whole time. That's why he probably lived when he got shot last time. We just didn't know it. And then, yeah, it explains <laughs> everything. It does. It does explain a lot. And it also explains a lot about how this episode works. Cause otherwise we don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Or why there's this possibly a succubus. So yeah. It's her. She's a succubus. Makes sense to me. I'm not going to argue. Yep. <laughs> this episode also had a deleted scene where the cigarette smoking man confronts Skinner to question his allegiance. Um, yeah. And I'm sad they took that out because that would have been good. Yeah. I'm calling jealous much on that one too. Like to yeah. cut it out because it's a good Skinner scene. I did read that it was actually a scene where the cigarette smoking man hinted that he's behind what's been happening to Skinner. Yeah. Like, kind of like to steer Skinner's intel, which doesn't, it's like the two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Question is allegiance, but then also to steer his allegiance at the same time. Mm -hmm. So not. Well, we kind of know obvious. that, right? Like we kind of know that like that yeah. syndicate is I think is that's why they it, left so. that scene in where he's looking to the window to slightly beat it over your head like in case you haven't put the clues together that this is because they tried to kill him and now they can't kill him then look here's the cigarette smoking man checking in on things so mm -hmm. yeah i think that's probably why they left otherwise there's no need to even have that scene in there right but we had to know that they're kind of behind yeah. what's Which, going on again this is like stealth myth arc episode yeah i mean well it definitely has the conspiracy going on for sure None of the aliens, but yeah. Well, we talked. We were we were just. I think we discussed this at one point where whether myth arc means conspiracy or if it means aliens. Yeah, I think it does mean like more because conspiracy. I, think, I don't know it's that those are actually the alien conspiracy, but I think yeah, yeah I don't know that those are necessarily like have to be tied together either. So no, that's true. They don't. Yeah. So as we mentioned, the company collaborated with Howard Gordon on the story for this episode. Duchovny joked that he suggested a Skinner-focused episode to give himself a break from filming, but this ended up being a pretty Mulder-heavy episode, so that didn't actually work out. Um, also, mm -hmm. Pelegi deserves some focus after two years on the show. Plus, Pelegi's great, so who doesn't want to watch him more? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, his sexy, sexy chest is covered up by some blonde woman the whole time when he doesn't have a shirt on. But we do get some other good, nice little sexy Skinner shots. So, yeah. Yeah. And apparently, originally, Skinner had been conceived as a villain because he's mostly when he came in, he was meant to be the boss who was like keeping Mulder and Scully in line and to thwart them. One level up from Blevins, basically, is what he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he was going to have to thwart them and stuff. But Pelegi was so great in the role that the writers decided to take him in another direction. And that's according to Vince Gilligan. And Pelegi said that this episode helped cement the fact that Skinner is not necessarily, quote, in bed with Mulder and Scully. Ooh, wording there. Well. Those, are, those are his words. And where he stands on the X-Files. But you do learn, like, he's a hard ass, but he's fair. So he's not, like, trying to thwart them all the time. Yeah. And then again, I'm like, yeah, right, David DeCovney, like, I want to take the focus off of me. Wink, wink. Right. And <laughs> you just wanted a break. A super Mulder episode. Well, then it ended up being a super Mulder episode. So it's like, yeah, right, exactly. right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, whatever, dude. Anyway, I have to ask you, we talked, we, we mentioned this a little bit in the very beginning because I could not keep my mouth shut. So I'm going to ask you, like, what is up with all it? Like, so we've got the... Scully about to probably kill someone driving in like super like hurricane <laughs> weather on her phone, right? Yeah. And then when they have the OPC hearing, it's all like dark and stormy night there. It's got like we have like lightning cues when they're talking. The room's all dark and there's like lightning flashes behind like the blinds and stuff. And then we have the like the first responders like jumper happens whenever it rained two days straight. It's like, what is the deal with it being so rainy? Like, I don't like why? Like, what was I, the point? I don't know. And that's the weird because like we don't get they made any... a point to show all that. That was stuff that didn't happen. They like that's they did something. I know. Well, and like that's the thing. Like, does it was it supposed to relate to the appearance of this old woman or like whatever she is? Like, does that happen more when it rains? Does the yeah, rain make Skinner weird. think of her? Like, I don't it is a weird bunch of because... cranky LA guys mad because it rains in Vancouver, and so they're like putting it out in the episode. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. On, but... This episode, again, has a lot of stuff that, like, seems like it was set up to do something and then just does not ever come together. Like, we like, don't learn anything about the old woman. Is she the wife? Maybe. Well, like you said. Wife. Yeah, she's I mean, that's wife. your theory, and that makes sense. I don't know that that's what we're supposed to walk away thinking, but <laughs> that yeah. is a better explanation than the non-explanation we get. Because I get like when they're on set, when they're on scene, right? And it's like it's rainy or slightly rainy or whatever, right? And they've got to, you know, adjust for that kind of thing. Like sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's not. And so you gotta mm-hmm. sometimes they have to make explanations of why it wasn't raining before and now it is raining, that kind of thing. But like the scene with Scully in a car, I'm sorry, they did not film that on the street. No, that is 100 percent like studio rain. Like yeah, and yeah. so they made a point of doing her driving through like the worst like typhoon you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and like, why? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if it was supposed to be somehow connected to the monster, to the woman, whatever. And, and then, like connected. I said, like in the OPC hearing, like they made a point of making it all like it was super dark in there and there were very mm-hmm. few lights. And then you could see like lightning flashes outside from the blinds. And I'm pretty sure they were like, here, we're going to make a point lightning kind of thing. And it's like, what? like you made a choice to do that. Like, why, though? I don't understand. Yeah, so. it's it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know whether that was the script or directorial, whatever, because it's in the script, right? Like, oh, jumpers happen well, whenever ass- it rains, so. We assume. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know what's true. in the script and what's not. So, but yeah, true. but that is not just something like, oh, crap, we're filming Scully driving and it's like torrential downpour. I guess we'll just keep going. No, that was not 
they weren't filming that on the street. No. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the many loose ends in this episode. So I don't know if that was okay. intended to be something, but. Well, I think we're about ready to head into ratings. But before we do, I am going to make a point of pulling up our episode list with all our ratings. Because last episode, I messed up last episode's ratings. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> so I am right now. Jose Chung from Outer Space is getting a nine from me, not a seven. Nice. In my ears, the last things I have heard were our Pusher and Taste of Dos Bichos episodes because those recently, in real time, in real life, those recently came out and I am really behind on editing. And so those were most recently in my ear because I've been editing them like at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And so those we didn't rate very high. And so I was thinking like, okay, that's fine. And then after we were done, I realized I didn't have the ratings open and so usually what we do is have we have the spreadsheet open and when we actually do our ratings they actually get one of us enters them like in real time into the spreadsheet and we did not do that and so I, afterwards i went and put them in and then i was looking and i was like oh my god i gave hell money an eight and i'm giving jose chung a seven that's not right so i flipped those and was like okay well i'll give i'll give hell money a seven and i'll give jose chung an eight and then i realized like oh, wait i gave seven to these and i gave eight to these and i was like oh so so Jose Chung gets a nine. Boom. I messed up bad. I did not look at historical ratings in terms of that. Also, I think your 10 just like threw me for a loop. So <laughs> it surprised you. You're like, whoa, yeah. I thought we weren't going like, to do yeah, that. I just, yeah, I was gobsmacked. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was too, because at first I was going to give it a nine and I had to really think hard about it. It really did. I, I did agonize over it a little bit and I watched it again and to make sure. And yeah, yeah but I stand by it. I think it's a well, 10. And last episode, you mentioned this. You mentioned you might think about going back to pilot to see if maybe you need to redo that. Because we both mm -hmm. gave pilot a nine. And then before we started recording today, I mentioned that I might need to go back and look at Eve because I think I, I know I personally was very like nothing is going to get a 10 because that's just like nothing can ever be perfect. Right. Well, and it's hard to in the first season and that wasn't very far into the season either. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, do I get something? A I 10 think now? I think I'm comfortable with my pilot getting a nine, but I need to go back and rewatch and maybe even re-listen to our episode of Eve and just see if there was something in there that is why it's a nine and not a 10 or if it's just because I was like, nothing is going to get a 10 like 10 mm -hmm. doesn't exist so because that is one of the episodes that i really 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 do like yeah it's also it's a super good episode so yeah yeah anyway ratings for this episode which mm -hmm. is not as good i mean i enjoyed watching it there are a couple silly points there are a couple things where like we just discussed like don't really get tied up and that don't have to tie everything up but <laughs> I do wish we'd gotten a little more explanation. I mean, Nick's explanation is great. Would have been nice to get something in the actual show. But I didn't hate it. I wasn't bored. I didn't think, oh, man, this sucks or this is the worst episode ever or anything. It just I feel like it was OK. And it was probably slightly better than average. So I'm going to give it a six. OK. Yep. That's OK. That seems fair. I'll yeah. do that. I am going to go because I have the spreadsheet up. And I've also I've been thinking about this a lot. Because again, before we recorded, you and I talked a little bit about this, about how this episode is weird. And it's weird because it's weird and it's weird because it's not weird. Mm -hmm. Because it's like in procedurals a lot, which X-Files is pretty much a procedural. When you have an ensemble cast, there's always a like, let's do a special episode about 
this person, right? And we learn about their like their personal life or their family or something like that. And it like, you know, makes them more of a whole person. You get to feel for maybe, you know, why they do the things they do. And that's what this episode is, except it has a succubus. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think it does. I think my succubus theory, I think, answers every single thing that does not get answered. And so I'm going. It does. I mean, honestly, so. <laughs> your theory works. And I mean, Mulder does say succubus. Well, it doesn't it answer does the rain like issue, but I think that's no. just, I don't know what they were doing. I, yeah. I literally think the thing that answers the rain thing is that it's a bunch of cranky LA dudes mad because it rains in Vancouver. And so it was probably raining on set as they threw in a bunch of over the top rainy stuff. Because probably. Get it out of their system. Entirely so, possible. Yep. Yeah. But I am going to give this a. Hmm. Hmm. Ah. Uh, now I'm now I'm hesitating because I actually think I want to go higher than what I was planning to do. Oh. I'm going to give this an eight. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I really liked it. It's a good, solid. It's good for what it does. With with again that weird addition of like, and it's got a succubus because they have to have <laughs> something in it, right? I mean, yeah. They could, not, they could not just make it a story about Skinner and that you know the syndicate is you know trying to get rid of him a different way because killing him didn't work. Because that's basically what the story is. Yeah, exactly what the story is, which, which is why I'm like, this is a myth arc episode. The same way that you know everything else didn't have the aliens, but this is totally a myth arc episode. And so that's what this story is. But it was like, well, we got to put something in there. We can't really shoehorn aliens in because that's how we fit that in. We'll make his wife a succubus. Boom, solved the problem. It's the go. Donnie Faster effect. <laughs> Maybe, except handled way better. <laughs> it is handled better. It is handled way better. But I mean, it is very much the, oh no, our story doesn't actually have a supernatural yeah, or paranormal no, there's, element. There's no her morphing into the old woman ever. Yeah. And we don't see that earlier with Queen of Cells either. It's like we see her from behind and she's like doing that like throws of passion kind of arc in her back thing. And then we cut to Skinner's POV and she's like an old woman on top of him. And he's like, Whoa! and then he wakes up, you know, and kind of thing. And so, but there's never anything that, you know, shows like a transition like they would Donnie Faster, which they never show him transition to the demon, but they have that weird scene in the when he opens the closet with Scully. And he, yeah, like, where he kind of like, shifts to a bunch three of people, or four yeah. different serial killer like stereotypes. Oh, don't remind me. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, the, otherwise, aside from the succubus, which in my world works and I'm, I'm, I'm all over it, it it's fine. Um, it's not really how succubuses work as far as I know, but it's fine. <laughs> they've, they've, they've changed other things and made it work. So, or not, yeah. but this one I think does. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, she could be something besides the succubus. She could just be like some kind of witch or something like that. Or some kind of protector God. Yeah. Or who knows, right? Like, yeah. it's really not clear. Yeah, Cause so. I don't, I've never heard of succubi becoming so attached to people that they can't give them up. That part seems new to me. I could be wrong though. Succubi are like vampire adjacent. And so I never really paid a lot of attention to them because vampires are usually more interesting. And also mm-hmm. succubi are also just like a, like a misogyny trope in a way. So it's one of those things I can never really delved in too much. So, yeah, but yeah, it works for me. And so eight, boom, I like it. I think it does. A, I think it does a great job of being a, let's learn about this character. And yeah, eight, boom. Nice. I got nothing else. Yeah, I don't either. That's it. All right. That's it. I think Later. we covered it. Bye-bye. Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy End Productions. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 22, Quagmire. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out, out there. there.
trust no one. The truth is what we make of it. throw some trust no ones in on this one but i'll use the ones from last time okay we don't need to do them again because we have the ones from last time because then we decided to go with you saw venus so it's <laughs> so good oh god damn that it. was that Fuck. you know that was ooh, good job on that one Tori. that was amazing <laughs> yeah. so I think sometimes yep. sometimes i make a good decision <laughs> in the moment i don't know it happens